No. I'm not worried at all. I rely on God, Allah. Bismillah, alhamdulillah, wa salatu wa salamu ala rasulillah. Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh. Wa alaikum assalam wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh. Welcome to a special edition episode of the Life Hub podcast. We are broadcasting from Camp Sunnah, live from the Rocky Mountains, somewhere in an undisclosed location between Alberta and BC. Alhamdulillah. And we're just chilling here with the brothers. We have Sheikh Abdurrahman with us. And you know that this is a recipe for a great time. Alhamdulillah. So uh, we want to make this actually an interactive session with the brothers. We want to make it like a free-flowing session, inshallah. And we want to try to get as much a beneficial discussion, reflection, as we sit amongst these beautiful trees, this beautiful shimmering lake, the mountains in the background, beautiful sky. And yes, I am so hot right now, I am smoking. Okay? <laughs> so, uh, inshallah, in the creation, in the midst of the creation of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, we hope to have some nice reflections Hopefully get a few beautiful nuggets of nasiha, golden nuggets of nasiha as well that uh, we can pass along uh, to everyone, inshallah ta'ala. Alright, so I want to open up the floor, the beautiful floor ard of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to the brothers and just spit out anything that's in your mind, inshallah. What are you thinking about? A lot of things happening out in the world and the ummah, a lot of time for introspection while we're here in Camp Sinna. What are some things that are on your mind? What are some things you're able to think about? Because sometimes when you're able to leave the bubble of the dunya, your, your rigor of your daily day-to-day, daily -day, so what you're doing with your daily schedule, the rigor of the dunya, the materialism, when you leave, you get better perspective oftentimes. So what are some things that has been on your mind, brothers? So, um... You know, subhanAllah, when I'm, uh, use the mic? Yeah. SubhanAllah, when I'm um, in the gathering of, um, you know, these beautiful brothers, um, uh, I feel like I, I have somewhere where I belong. I feel like, you know, these brothers have my back. I have um, a shoulder shoulder to rely on. Uh, but SubhanAllah, sometimes navigating uh, in the dunya, going home, you know, uh, sometimes I wonder, you know, do we Muslims belong here? Do we, um, what's, what's our space here? Um, here in Canada, I mean, uh, you know, sometimes we get weird looks at us, sometimes don't know, like, you know, I've been born and raised here. I'm wearing a New York hat right now. Um, but even still, sometimes I wonder, okay, is this the right spot for me? Just wondering if I could get some nasiha uh, of, you know, what our role here is. So you're saying sometimes you don't feel welcome. Yeah. Even though you're born here, yeah. you're raised here, yeah. you're 100% Canadian. Yeah. I may, I, I may even be able to speak English better than some yeah. of these people. I, yeah, I think I'll, you were questioned. <laughs> uh, the brother was, she here was questioned on his way here. He's like, are you lost? <laughs> no, uh, ma'am. <laughs> I'm found, brother. I'm found. I was lost, but now I'm found. Uh, uh, Sheikh, what would you advise this young Shabab? <laughs> Allahi, I would advise you first off, Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh. And uh, the question is one that always comes up, subhanAllah, and most definitely it's in our minds. I mean, I'm sure we've all gotten those looks, uh, those questions, those out of place questions that just are meant to make you feel so uncomfortable, subhanAllah. 
you know, my response to this first and foremost is to definitely, as Muslims, we are here to stay. This is our place. That's first and foremost. We're not visitors passing through. I'm most sure most of us were born here. I was born here. All of you are born here as well. So this is your place. So if that's your place, then you have to, no doubt, mold it in a way that would suit your iman, your beliefs, so you can feel comfortable within what you put forth. So a community of Muslims living together, practicing the faith together, coming together like we are right now in Camp Sunnah, alhamdulillah, to renew our faith, to make us ourselves stronger, to face the challenges that we all face when we go back to our own individual cities, inshallah. So it's just a matter of being strong, having that unwavering faith, which I think is truly a first step in the right direction. Oh, yeah, cool. yeah so uh, I, like, uh, I echo the Sheikh's uh, sentiments, and uh, I would add that at the end of the day, when we sit here and we're looking at the sky, you know, above us. And we look at the trees, we look at uh, the creation, the landscape, we look at these great mountains, we look at these lakes. These people that give you those looks, did they create any of this? Did they create any of this creation, this beautiful creation that you are sitting in right now? You look at yourself, your hand, just the function of your hand. The cells, you can see the, you know, this, the outline of your palms and these palm fissures. And you can see how your hand operates and that it can, uh, it, it has this tactile sensation. This hand has the ability Allah SWT has given it to perform surgery on Allah. brains. Allah. Okay? This is what Allah SWT, the int intricacy that this hand has given you was created by Allah SWT. All that that was created by Allah SWT, should we be not more concerned of what Allah Subhanahu wa Taala thinks of us, and should we not understand and appreciate that Allah Subhanahu wa Taala is the owner of all this? Allah owns everything. He He is the one who is the creator of the heavens and the earth, and He will be the owner of the day of judgment. So they don't own any of this. This is not their land. Some people, in every generation, is given trustee over uh, parcels of land of pieces of land during certain times. Sometimes they don't even own any land. They just occupy uh, portions of land. And Allah SWT uh, is forever. Those people will be here, period of time, they'll leave. Allah owns everything. So when you think about a person in regards to the greatness of Allah SWT, it's like, what can you say to me? Like, how can you say I don't belong? You know what I mean? Like we, this is the this is the ardhulillah. You know what I mean? You don't own anything, right? So, and in a sense, none of us belong here. None of us belong on this earth. This is just a temporal place. And in a sense, actually, the Muslims are the strangest people because we are the ghuraba. And what did uh, Rasulullah said about the ghuraba? Tuba ghuraba. Right, glad tidings of Jannah, tree in paradise for the ghuraba. So as the trees that you see here, that the, maybe a person might think, I, I own this tree. You don't own this tree. But for the one who is a real stranger, it's glad tidings in Jannah for them.
So, um, yeah, you know, I think when you look at, you know, people's criticisms and when they, uh, you know, look at you in a funny way and you compare it to the greatness of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, it makes a difference. It makes a big difference in how you perceive it internally. So, Sheikh, you uh, were born and raised here in Canada. And, uh, you know, mashallah, you spent a lot of time as well uh, in Muslim countries. And specifically, you know, you had uh, education, Islamic education from Saudi. So a person who has had experience here in Canada and has been educated abroad, born and raised, you went to public school. So it's not like you were sheltered from the society. How have you found your experience to be in the society? Do you feel that um, the situation is getting better or uh, are Muslims becoming more alienated from the society? Do you feel there is more harmony or less? Well, Jazakallah khair, doctor. So I'm, I'm comparing my, my time in Canada in the 80s mm. to now. So back yeah. in the 80s, it was a shock because if you were to wear the thobe and go in the street, the number of looks that you get so that would make you so uncomfortable, subhanAllah. You know, it's beyond description as you're walking down maybe to Jum'ah, to Jama'ah uh, at night. The worst thing was, subhanAllah, at that time, if you happen to, you know, at night time, you're going to masjid and you're leaving the masjid. I recall my, with my parents, my father in specific, when we'd go together to the masjid, there were times where we would stop off. I would be wearing a thobe and we'd stop off at the Safeway and you get inside there. And immediately, those weird looks, it's not like a subtle look where you look from the corner of your eye. It's like a full body turn following mm -hmm. you where you're going in the store. So that kind of a look, that's what you get. And it was very uncomfortable. I found myself at one point not wanting to wear anything that would appear, you know, foreign or oriental. And uh, I, I found apprehension within myself even to wear a thobe or, or a shalwar kameez, you know, uh, these garments, these clothings that we're accustomed to wearing, I found it difficult to wear because at that time being young and seeing all that you would see, subhanAllah, it's difficult. But now, um, you know, I find it much different. I think because uh, there are so many Muslims and it's become a fact of life where you have practically everyone, everyone wearing a thobe, like myself in Fort Mac now, subhanAllah, I, most of the time I'm wearing a thobe. I just go and save on foods, not a single look. Instead, they're really friendly. They come out to you. Uh, how are you doing, sir? Can we help you out? As you would expect. Subhanallah. And it's a huge shift. And I'm very happy because my kids are growing up, growing up in an environment where uh, they're not going to feel that alienation, that difficulty growing up as I went through when I was younger. Subhanallah. It's all on account of, I believe, the Muslims becoming, you know, uh, spreading out in the country, uh, you know, uh, becoming more apparent, showing their faith. You know, they, uh, I, I'm not sure. I'm not sure the number of Muslims back in the 80s, but Allahu a'lam, they might have been definitely much less. But then still, they were not apparently seen. You could not see them. The only way you could tell a Muslim as a Muslim was if the sister was wearing the hijab, and you know that is a Muslimah. But beyond that, with the brothers, pants and shirt, you wouldn't you wouldn't look twice. You would not know. Nowadays, Subhanallah, you see. Uh, the the clothing that you would associate with Muslims everywhere, Subhanallah, and, and that that in itself it really makes you feel comfortable, welcome. Now I'm not saying that you have to wear 
thobe or you have to wear you know oriental clothing but subhanallah uh, you can wear whatever you want and at the same time practice your faith freely without feeling any apprehension and this is something uh, I, I consider it a ni'mah uh, being here in canada subhanallah and traveling around the world i've seen other places where if you were to wear the thobe you get those i i look at the back as being the 80 looks in canada you see it outside so it truly is a ni'mah being here where do you get those looks when you go out well when i was in um in the uk that i felt it like really that was Really, in the UK, they have a big Muslim in Manchester. Okay, they have like even a lot of niqabis. There are a and lot stuff. of niqabis, but then to wear a thobe walking down the street, it's not. I, I, maybe it's the EDL. I'm not sure, but then yeah. it's those weird looks that you get as if you know that's like what what are you doing here? It's not yeah. your place. Of course, there's a lot of Muslims there. I mean, there's a place called the Curry Mile. Yeah. It's it's an amazing food joint down the whole street. But still, I mean, if you're in the wrong place at the wrong time, maybe Manchester United lost a game. People come out very angry. And they want to. Basic, you know, just express their anger. They look at you and they'll give you that, you know, angry look. So, Subhanallah, Allah understand. What I find interesting, uh, Sheikh, is like, uh, you know, they, you have a obviously a time period where if you did wear a thobe or something, it looks strange because they've never seen somebody wear that before. Maybe it's not, you know, normal to their culture. So I guess maybe it could be equivalent to like I don't know if we were to see somebody, you know, dressed. Uh, uh, you know, in the uh, in the traditional outfit, like you know, Chinese people wear or something like that. I, I don't know, like something that you don't see normally, and then if you were yeah. to see it, then it's more out of like a novelty, you yeah. know, type of thing. But what I think today we can appreciate is that it's such a globalized world. Oh, yeah. Everyone is really seeing everything, and some people just dress like completely weird, like you know what I mean. Like you'll have people who will. I remember in high school. I would be I, I would be bewildered to see people dress in in ways that I've never seen before, like a dog collar. I thought dog collars were for dogs, right? And I would see like human beings wearing dog car, collars, and then you know how like the the nose of cows you see them pierced. So then now they're wearing like nose cows pierced, you know things. <laughs> so. <laughs> Yeah. And like, and then the black makeup and you know stuff like that, and the like the spiky hair. So you would see people wearing like these weird types of you know different types of clothing, and they have the guts to do that. And I would see like some Muslims who would be really shy to wear like you know like a thobe or anything traditional. And yeah, during that time, you know, you could say like, man, okay, we should have a little bit more self confidence if somebody like this can wear like weird, strange, like sometimes they want to look demonic. Like, oh, yeah. I don't know if, if you remember, there was a trend, Sheikh, like of, of having really scary looking contact lenses, like, oh, or changing, trend, yeah, you change the color of your of your eyes. So yeah. you'd see like these people who should have brown eyes, like with these bright blue eyes and stuff mm -hmm. like that. So, um, you know, you see people who have the confidence to do that, and then you'd see Muslims who are very shy to yeah. wear what they wear, right? So, well, Sheikh, maybe it's not just the clothing. You know, so it, yeah. what 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 kind of you know compounds the whole issue? Because back then, maybe you were caught in a place where there was no masjid, no musalla, yeah. and you want to pray salah. So you 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 know, what my father would do. We just get out of the car, find a spot in the parking lot or somewhere, and you pray salah outside. Now those looks were different as well. I mean. I get a person looking at you because they've never seen something, and I can appreciate that. Just a smile, look, and turn the head. But when you have the whole full body swing following you around as if you're yeah. something that's 
an alien walking on the face of Earth because you dress the way that you dress. This is bad manners. That's exactly it, Chef. That's what I find very odd. The manners that some exhibit sometimes, maybe they don't realize it. Yeah. But that is truly something that, you know, I don't want my kids to experience. And alhamdulillah, going back to what I mentioned previously, we're living in a time where, alhamdulillah, the clothing that Muslims usually wear, the prayers that we perform, it's all very common, alhamdulillah. Even if I'm to go right now, pray in the parking lot, I mean, in a bigger city. No one will look at you twice, you know, subhanAllah. In Fort Mac, I mean, just a, a, or in Edmonton, on the way towards Fort Mac or going down to Edmonton. It's roughly a five-hour drive. You know, we usually perform salah in an area called Grassland or Wandering River. You stop there, no one looks at you. You mm. just get up, salam out on the ground, Allahu Akbar. And, you know, that's a ni'mah, subhanAllah. Uh, them recognizing, okay, these are Muslims, they're doing whatever they do, don't look twice, alhamdulillah. Yeah. And, you know, I, like I said, I appreciate someone looking at something, not realizing and never seeing it before, but then just that, that, that gawking, if I can use that yeah. term, where they begin to stare at you and just kind of open mouth, ah, what's this? As if you're something off the face of an alien that just came down. This is what I, yeah. I, I don't appreciate, subhanAllah. Allah but but you know, conversely, Sheikh, when you're proud and you have confidence in what you wear, then you know, sometimes you'll actually get non-Muslims copy you. You know, in Philadelphia, there's a very strong Muslim community. Oh, yeah. And uh, the, a lot of the Muslim brothers, they have like nice big beards. They have like pants, you know, above oh, the yes. ankles that they wear pretty regularly. Loose clothing, baggy clothing. So people actually call it like the Muslim beard. Like oh, yeah. you'll have non-Muslims copy that look. Yeah. So it's like, oh, this is the Philly beard. But what they're doing is they're copying <laughs> the way that the Muslims look because there's a strong Muslim community there. Yeah. So it becomes almost fashionable and people right. want to try to copy it. You know what I mean? Well, Dr. I, uh, Sayyid, I was, subhanAllah, looking at historical references to see, you know, the, uh, the, the whole phenomenon of uh, non-Muslims imitating Muslims in their clothing. Because now we have the opposite where we have yes. uh, where the Muslims are imitating non-Muslims in every single small and big thing. I mean, yeah. not everyone, but in general. So looking back, there were you know, instances where, historically speaking, we have non-Muslims emulating non-Muslims uh, Mus- I mean, non-Muslims in their clothing, in their attire, their you know, the, the uh, hygiene, all of these things, because it lo- they looked at the Muslims as being a superior nation. They were able to achieve so much during that time, and they wanted to emulate that, that success. So they began taking these we look at them as being small, but they're actually quite big. Uh, adab, akhlaq, and they put it into practice, subhanAllah. Mm-hmm. And that's amazing. I mean, uh, Allah Jalla wa'ala instilled within us the pride of Islam as we should all be proud of who we are. And I think the more that we uh, instill this within our kids, the more success we'll have as a community at large, inshaAllah. Inshaallah. Mm. Yeah, go ahead, bro. And you, for, you, know, you guys are talking about um, the importance of clothing. Um, you know, does Islam have any anything to say about the types of clothing Muslims should wear? So, for example, like you know, some of these trends like wearing black and and, and, and you know spiky hair. Like, is there is there is there a limit within that within this that a Muslim can follow? Like, does this impact our identity and is this a reflection of our values? when we uh, adopt some of these other types of holdings. Well, I'll just, I'm sure Dr. Sayyid, you have something to add to this as well, but I just want to jump in and just address two points, inshallah. The first of which, um, the words of Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, يُحْشَرُ الْمَرْءُ مَعَ مَنْ أَحَبْ 
So you'll be summoned in the company of those whom you love. Mm. And uh, when a person begins to emulate someone, so let's say there's a certain actor, a rapper, an artist that they really aspire to be like, and they think, you know what, I'll wear the same type of clothing. The clothing in and of itself is not going to be haram, but it's the it's what it would lead to afterwards. So when someone begins to emulate someone, following them, trying to see what clothing they wear, what, what, what styles they're, they're, they have, and, and they do exactly as they see from that person, this shows that there is certain love for what they see before them. And the, the danger of this is that the Prophet said, you shall be summoned in the company of those whom you love on Yawm Al-Qiyamah. So just imagine, you could be in the company of Abu Bakr, Umar, Rasulullah if you love them and, and strive to be like them, alhamdulillah, you'll be in their company on Yawm Al-Qiyamah. But on the other hand, if someone strives to be like, you know, some rapper, I'm not going to mention anyone's name, but if someone tries to be like that famous person, that, uh, that actor, that actress, then here what happens is that you would have that love within your heart towards them and you would be summoned in their company on Yawm Al-Qiyamah. So I would say yes, definitely, clothing, have a huge impact upon that love that you have within the heart that would come in the heart. And, yeah, and you have to be careful. Yeah, I think the Sheikh makes some uh, a very valid point, like as a underlying rule philosophy, is uh, if we have a strong identity, then, you know, you could have some overlap. Obviously, there's, this, there's a, a different, almost style, um, an, an overarching style, I could say, not like an individual style, but an overarching style of, of Western clothing as opposed to, say, like the shawar kameez, overarching style. But then even within shawar kameez, there's different styles of shawar kameez, right? So, um, so the overarching style that we wear, you know, pants, you know, shirts, sweaters, hoodies, things like that here. I think as long as we feel that... Um, we don't need to, as the Sheikh mentioned, is that you're trying to attribute or associate or be like somebody who doesn't even have a grain of Iman in their heart. You know what I mean? I think that's, that's where it becomes problematic. You know, so like, you know, the rapper, he's trying to mention rappers. He's like, don't dress like Takashi 69 Okay. <laughs> like, the guy looks weird and snitches get stitches. All right. So, uh, the, you know, you want to have like your own, uh, I would say, add your own flavor, your own style uh, to that. Um, uh, there's a hadith of Rasul where he says, a time will come where they'll say about a man how intelligent he is. So, like how and how, you know, cool or dignified this guy is. And he won't even have a grain of Iman in his heart. You know, they'll say about somebody, idealize somebody that, oh man, this guy is so awesome, so cool. I want to be like him, dress like him. Why? There's, there's no coincidence that they spend millions and millions of dollars on uh, celebrities to promote clothing because yeah. they know the influence that it has on people. People naturally like to idolize. People are drawn to idolizing things, whether it's statues, whether it's like worshiping like, uh, you know, these types of statues, rocks, whatever, or people. So if we keep that tawheed in mind, sometimes I like to look different. If I, if I see something that is trending, like for example, 
the phenomenon of skinny jeans. You know what I mean? <laughs> I would be like, there's no way in heck I'm gonna follow this trend, you know? Uh, firstly, for a man, it's very unhealthy, okay? So if you have later on problems in your marriage, there's a reason for that, okay? He wore skinny jeans. <laughs> that, <laughs> that may have been <laughs> the honey that you know caught the fly, but there's not gonna be there's, there's no <laughs> it's gonna dry out, it's gonna run out, okay? <laughs> so uh, you know we should have our own um, izza when it comes to that, and we can set our own trends. On in that vein, actually, Sheikh, I have a question for you. There is a new trend, a new you could say um, section in fashion for the muhajibat. So like we're talking about in fashion week, they have like hijabs now yeah. and these abayas. And, um, and so within the West, they have it in the West. And also uh, Turkey is a big proponent of it. Malaysia has a big industry yeah. of this. So they're really taking part in the fashion industry and you know they'll have like they'll have you in fashion shows. Yeah. I, I I saw this happening like a few years ago in the West, where sisters would, in order to try to promote hijab, yeah. they would get um, you know like a, a, a they rent a hall yeah. and they would have like a hijabi fashion show. They show oh these are some ways you can wear a hijab or different styles of hijab or different like colors or whatever. These are different abayas. So they would have that, but then it morphed into like being something pretty materialistic and then it kind of lost it and just became like another branch of the fashion industry right that we that i saw here in the west you see in muslim countries now too it's becoming big yeah. even non-muslim companies oh yes are promoting it like nike's promoting it oh, yeah. versace's promoting it and then you'll have like a non-muslim runway model walking in with a hijab you know down the runway you know do the spin and then she's wearing hijab, and then maybe the next one she'll come out in like something else, like Naudhubillah, right? So, what are, what are your thoughts on this? Because it might be deluding the sisters, because the sisters might be saying, Oh, awesome, I'm getting representation. This is really cool. This is like, you know, they're, they're catering to us. We have a voice now, you know what I mean? And then they give them this multicolored hijab, if you know what I'm talking about, and say, hey, this is another style you should wear, right? So, what do you... Like Dr. Sayyid. The thing is that with the, I've seen many interesting fashions, styles, um, even the uh, fabrics that are used, meant to attract attention. Now the question yeah. that we have to ask ourselves, what is the, you know, the overall purpose of the hijab? Yeah. It is a sitter to basically protect the sister, to draw attention away from her. Now what is happening with these styles, attention is being drawn towards her. So people then begin to you know, look at this hijab, how can they beautify it? So that's the first thing, it negates the purpose of the hijab first and foremost. Number two, it essentially you know, brings that, that material aspect. Now I know a hijab that you go out and you can buy it for five, ten dollars cheaper, a bit more, yeah. but within reasonable uh, limits. You find these namesake brands that subhanAllah offer the same hijab, but yeah. Allahumma Calvin Klein, uh, Versace. And then what happens is that this hijab is a thousand dollars. Yes. For what? Here Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, he, he forbids us. Those who are wasteful are the brothers of shayateen. So mm. I, I would say that it's inappropriate for one to go first and foremost for these, you know, fashionable hijabs that draw attention towards the sister because it defeats the purpose of hijab, number one. Number two, I think that, you know, when 
when you're using a hijab like this, you're being used by someone else because yes. they're not they're, they're not uh, making the hijab out of love for you. Yeah. They realize this is a multi-million dollar, if not more, business yeah. that they can get tons of money from, sisters across the world. So then why not tap into this? It's stupid not to tap into it. Yeah. So they realize that as a business model, let's tap into this you know, untapped market. So they're doing that, subhanAllah. So you become a simple pawn in their hands as they give, uh, as they spew out fashion upon fashion. So I would warn sisters, do not do it for all of these reasons and have that taqwa within yourself. The concept of taqwa, يعني, that you have that consciousness and awareness of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, that we are only in dunya for a short time. Our permanent place is in the akhirah. Uh, may Allah make it easy for us all, I mean. All right, bro. What's up? Can you speak up, by the way? Yeah, the yeah you got to speak yeah. up loud. So what do you guys say about these big corporations that make trillion dollars and they have definitely have anti-Muslim agenda, like especially Nike with the hmm. new art that came out where they're showing this sister uh, with a hijab trying to uh, uh, skate and then she comes out with... She comes, she comes out basically reformed in their own image of what the Muslim sister should be. Yeah. And us buying their products, supporting them, and basically helping them promote their agenda. So what, 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 how we should approach these corporations? What's your question exactly? Yeah, how should we cooperate and to what extent would we be held, held accountable if we keep buying their products and just helping them? Oh, uh, in terms of um, Nike, and uh, it's not just them, there's like practically every company, every product out there has some type of hidden agenda. Sometimes it comes out and becomes apparent in the situation it has. Uh, you cannot say that because of this, the shoes of Nike are haram, the clothing of Nike is haram. No, you can't say that. We look at uh, the ruling by default for all clothing, for everything that you wear, it's all halal, unless proven to be haram. So this is one thing, to, to put aside that whole issue of whether it is or is not haram to wear those things. Uh, the other thing is, I think, subhanAllah, in the age that we're living, and Dr. Said, you can put more light on this. We're living in an age where if we're to come out and openly oppose this you know, approach and put them in their place and tell them, listen, you went way off. This is completely wrong. We don't accept this. This is actually humiliating to us and we're going to boycott your product, for example, right? And if Muslims do that together, it'll cause such an impact. I mean, look at uh, Colin Kaepernick when he went down on the knee, when the American uh, anthem was being said, he went down, they got rid of him. What happened to him now? I think he's become a bigger icon. In the past, who knew him? An average, you know, a QB, that's yeah, it. He's a backup quarterback. Yeah, but now he's become the icon of that industry, subhanAllah. So I would say we take up stance stand strong and make our, uh, our opinions known. The problem is they don't know our view on these things. Most of the time, they just hear from the odd fringe groups, oh yeah, this is perfect, this is what all Muslims want. But they've never heard from the mainstream Muslims because we don't voice our opinions. We are the silent majority, and that's the problem. Uh, I, I would add to that, that um, one thing we should understand, corporations in and of themselves don't have a social agenda. So corporations, their main purpose uh, is to fulfill the 
needs of their stakeholders, which is essentially to increase profits. That is their driving force, is increased profits. So they, unlike governments, perhaps, uh, unlike uh, organizations, that their purpose is social engineering or to have some type of social influence, corporations in and of themselves don't have that. Anytime you see them do any type of activism or to try to show, hey, we're standing up for black rights or we're standing up for uh, you know, a certain group, the only reason for that is to cater to a demographic of people who want to feel good about materialism. That's the only reason why you see corporations have any type of social agenda is because I want you to now think about from an eagle eye perspective. You, see, you have a bunch of people who are in a system where they want to consume materialism and makes them feel good. It's supposed to make them feel good at least. And so initially when they buy a whole bunch of stuff, okay, yeah, it feels good to have this stuff. Let me buy some more stuff. Oh, it makes me feel good to have this stuff. And then it reaches a point where I kind of feel empty and hollow and is it like really meaningful to have all this stuff? And corporations understand that. And so these people, they want to show, hey, I gave a dollar for like, you know, me too. I gave a dollar for BLM. I gave, you know, this, this clothing supports, uh, you know, um, uh, movement uh, for equality, right? So they want to feel that there's some type of meaning associated with something that's really meaningless, okay? So people who are within this materialistic world, who have completely embraced materialism, they want to get that meaning. I feel like good about buying this Prada bag because this Prada bag is going to give $5 to hashtag me too. Do you understand what I'm saying? So now it's not just buying the bag because I want this bag. It's buying this bag because I'm doing something good. And they understand that and they only cater to those social issues which they have done their market research and studies will get them the best customer return. It's about capturing you know, your, uh, your customer base. So maintaining your customer base and expanding your customer base. So they really don't have any social agenda. So you have to understand how, how and why they operate in that way. They, they're just trying to cater to a people who are trying to give meaning to buying materialistic things all the time. That's in a nutshell why uh, they do these different things. Because think about the constant hypocrisy of corporations. We're going to support... Nike's going to support Black Lives Matter and Colin Kaepernick. But what about the poor uh, Bangladeshi kids in their factories, the poor Chinese kids in their factories, the people working like, you know, 18-hour uh, days and throwing themselves out of buildings to commit suicide because they feel hopeless. You know what I mean? Their exploitation of uh, developing countries. You see the, the dichotomy here? You see LeBron James telling people, he's, he's telling people to shut up about China. He's literally saying, this is not my business. But no, Black Lives Matter should be everybody's business, right? So there is standing, double speak, standing hypocrisy. There's no meaning in their social activism. So we have to understand that it's uh, maybe governments, maybe certain types of uh, think tanks. Yes, they, ha they may have a social agenda and so forth, okay? Having said that, in terms of dealing with corporations, I completely agree with the Sheikh, is that you have to show them that it's going to hurt their bottom dollar. So whether it's boycott, whether it's like using this social media as a double-edged sword against them, saying that 
you guys missed the mark, this is offensive. And you have to use their language. You know what I mean? You have to use the language that they say. This is like um, uh, cultural appropriation. You, know, you understand what I'm saying? This is the language that, that, uh, that they use and they get scared by. What? Oh, no, 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 we're not trying to culturally appropriate anything. Uh, no, what, what, what would look good to you guys? You know what I mean? So we have to be the ones who um, uh, give our input and, and put enough pressure. Because why did they do that? That, you know, for example, that particular Nike commercial or many different social agendas that say, for example, Amazon will support. The reason why they do that is they're catering to the most powerful demographic who has the biggest spending power, and that is white liberals. Okay, so they have a certain social like you know values that they have. So they always try to look through it through that lens. Whatever will um, uh, you know appease them? What are the social is issues that will appease them? So, for example, Jeff Bezos, who's saying Black Lives Matter. Uh, is doing nothing, he employs probably so many people in his Amazon warehouses that are black and Hispanic and people of color and is very oppressive policies. If you look at the way Amazon conducts business, they do not care about people. They, they're the ones who are, t uh, who are making all these mom and pop shops go out of business. They actually will make companies, they will, uh, anyone who tries to sell on Amazon, they will look at their data and they will make products cheaper to sell to put them out of business. They, there was a diaper company uh, that they literally lost millions of dollars over a period, period of months. So they lost millions of dollars on purpose to put this diaper company out of business so then they could get that a piece of that market share. They don't care about people. You understand what I'm saying? It's just hypocrisy. They do not care about people. So we have to be able to strategically play that game to put uh, the pressure on them at the same time, we should think long-term and develop a lot of our own branded pro products. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? Because why is it that these corporations here in the West can go to Muslim countries, exploit uh, you know, the, the labor and the resources of Muslim countries and then make profits with those same products here? Why can't we treat, go back, make those connections, uh, do that networking, market products here in the West which gives a better deal for them and better represents us. You know what I mean? That's a different type of strategic thinking. But in the short term for the every man uh, and woman, uh, we should, you know, yeah, like you can pick and choose what you want to buy. I think your buying power has, your, your dollar has buying power. We should be able to boycott people we want to boycott. And we should be able to communicate and organize ourselves to show people, hey, yeah, that's like, uh, you know, that's not woke, man, you know. That's not, you know, that's not showing us our equal rights or that's cultural appropriation. Use their language, you know, that they understand that's been fed to them by, like, like I said, this elite white liberal class. Okay, that's their playbook. And if they see the words that come up on their screen, the, the danger words, then they'll be like, okay, yeah, no, I got to back off. Let me, uh, <laughs> let me give attention to this group and maybe we'll change our, um, uh, our, our corporate strategy for this particular product. You know what I mean? We should, so we understand that so we don't mix the two together that, oh, our agenda is to change, you know, blah, blah, blah. They don't think that deeply, man. They're like, they, the board of directors are not about that, trust me, okay? Yeah, maybe other people, like, who, certain groups and things like that, that may think like that, but corporations, they dollar. That's, yeah. that's what's the main thing.
and one of them talking about priorities. So, you know, going back to our community, what are some like general things that we should think about, but also just in general, like in terms of communities or people who are in Dawa or people who are involved in, in community building, like what are what are some like top three priorities that we should focus on to try to um, get our communities to the point that we would love to see them, inshallah. That's too big of a question for me, Shaykh. raise money for and whatnot but the idea of growth is to set aside time to build set aside time to develop set aside time to lay proper foundation and structure you know and that is actually a thankless job you know for example if the if the sheikh uh, goes you know from one program to another and just raises money and says oh sheikh you know, thank you very much. You helped for this crisis. You helped for this crisis. You helped for this crisis. But sometimes when you build something, uh, for example, spending time with, you take 10 students and you're trying to build them as strong leaders for the future, you might do that for like 20 years and no one will say thank you and understand what you did. You know, you might not see, you might not get a thank you. You might not get like uh, accolades. You might not get see the results until like, 20, 25 years later and they grow up and they're starting to, uh, you know, build the community and so forth because that one, the one person built 10 and now these 10 are building 100 people, you know what I mean? You might not see that for a generation or two generations, the effect of that, right? So in terms of prioritizing, we should prioritize that long-term type of thinking. SubhanAllah, like... Uh, we travel through to so many different masajid all over Canada over the past 20 years. And one thing that I've seen is that there is no next generation taking the torch of leadership. And they're not trained to do it. They don't have the desire to do it. Some of them may have tried to at the beginning. They got tired of like the politics or the lack of support. And they just left you know, the game completely. 
So who's, who's going to be the ones taking, why, why don't we have eloquent uh, speakers from our own community engaging with media? You know what I mean? Like you have like, this is their language. Why aren't we putting them at the forefront? Here, represent us. It's still like the, you know, sometimes the, the one who's studied, uh, you know, abroad or was born abroad, come out here as an immigrant, and the English is maybe not necessarily their first language. They have a lot of talent and a lot of benefit for the community. But what about the homegrown talent that you've neglected, right? So, uh, you know, we need to start thinking in that different type of dimension, inshallah, I think, in terms of developing priorities. Make the long-term goal the priority. Make the boring, thankless work the priority because that will actually have a lasting impact. You know, that will have uh, an impact for generations maybe to come rather than just thinking, okay, uh, we got to deal with this uh, next crisis. Jazakallah khair for tuning in. We will continue this discussion, inshallah. And remember, as always, you want to live by the haq, die by the haq. And just when you think life is stuck, tune in to Life Hawk! <laughs> do I feel that the New York police are providing enough protection or do I have to have protection of my own? I look for protection from Allah.